Hi, hey, good morning, everybody. It is great to see you as we continue in our Baddish series. And I, I know it's going to sound a little weird, but this week I spent a little time thinking about my funeral. Like not, not in a morbid way, but just thinking like at my funeral, what would I like for people to be able to get up and say about my life? Like, for example, at my funeral, I hope my wife will get up and say, my husband, he was a great husband who always made me feel loved and treasured. I hope my wife can say that. I, I hope my kids will be able to get up and say, my dad was an awesome dad who was always there for us. I hope Pastor Dwayne will get up and say, look, he's moving, he's breathing. You know, I, you know uh, all kidding aside, I hope everyone at my funeral, I hope one thing that they can all say about me is that God used my life to make a difference for good in the world. Like, I want that for me, but can I, as your pastor, can I tell you, I also want that for you. I want it to be true that when you look back at how you live this life, this one and only life that God has given you, that at your funeral, people will be able to get up and say, man, God really used them to make a difference for good in the world. Now, for that to happen, friends, I believe the best place for that to start to happen is it needs to start right here, like in our heart. Like, if I want to help change the world for good, the place to start is with changing me. See, that's the heart of the whole Baddish series, that instead of thinking about all those people out there that need to change, that need to get their act together, that need to clean up their mess, why not start with the things like right here, that need to change in me. Do you know that's one of the things that Jesus taught in the Bible? In fact, we have an outline for our message. It's a light purple sheet found in your program. Let me encourage you to take this out and use it to follow along. And right off the top, I want you to see what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 42. He said, how can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. What Jesus is saying here, what he's really teaching is that before you go around judging others and pointing out all the faults that you see in others and all the ways that they need to change, take some time to look in the mirror and deal with some of the issues that are going on right here in your life, in your own heart. Because here's the truth, friends. All of us, can I say, all of us have habits, hurts, and hang-ups. In fact, if you're taking notes, would you write this down? We all have blind spots. We all have blind spots. You know, driver's ed 101, they, they tell you when you're driving, before changing lanes, check your blind spots. Because if you don't, friends, you can cause a crash. You, you can do some real damage. And I believe that God wants to help us today by his word and by his spirit. He wants to help us see some of our blind spots. Do you know one of the biggest blind spots that we have to uh, be exposed to is the blind spot of pride and selfishness? You know, in the book, Respectable Sins, written by Jerry Bridges, he writes, one of the problems with pride is that we see it in others, but not ourselves. Isn't that true? 
It's so easy to see pride and arrogance in other people. It's so easy to say, man, oh, that guy, he is just so full of himself. He is so arrogant, but, but not me. <laughs> see, huh? <laughs> Those people are pride, but not me because I'm humble. In fact, I'm so humble, I'm, I'm proud of my humility. You know, that type of attitude, friends. But can I, can I tell you this? Before we get too far into this message on pride and selfishness, I want us to say a humble prayer together. A prayer of preparation, if you will. It comes from Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. And this is a great prayer. Because what it does is it positions my life before God so that he's free to speak into me and reveal any blind spots that hurt my relationship with him or with others. And so here's what I'd like to ask you to do. I'd like to ask all of you to stand with me now. Would you just stand to your feet right now? And I want us to say these words, but not just say words out loud, but to say them as a sincere prayer to God. And if you'll say these words as a prayer, here's what I believe. I think God will show up and he'll speak to us in a powerful way. So let's pray this prayer together. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Test my thoughts. Point out anything you find in me that makes you sad. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let's jump right in with, with that prayer. Now let's jump right into the, the pitfalls of pride. Do you know... Pride and selfishness, they really go hand in hand. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs 16, 18, it says, pride goes before what? Destruction and haughtiness before what? A fall. Friends, do you see it? If you allow pride and selfishness to gain a foothold in your life, you're just setting yourself up for destruction and a fall and a crash. Well, it continues, Proverbs eleven two says, pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And Proverbs thirteen ten it says, pride leads to what? Conflict. Conflict. And you're having lots of conflict in your home, in your marriage, with your kids. Usually the main source of that is pride. Pride leads to conflict, but those who take advice are wise. Makes me think of a great quote from Ruth Graham Bell. She was the wife of the late Reverend Billy Graham, and she said this, all great marriages are built by two great forgivers. Now, friends, can I tell you, Karen and I, were celebrating 30 years of marriage this year, and by that definition, we have a great marriage. Because <laughs> we've had to do a lot of forgiving over the years. And I was reflecting on this, and I thought, man, I realized that most of the damage that I did to cause conflict in our marriage, most of the crashes that I caused, they were driven by pride and selfishness. Pride leads to conflict. And then Proverbs 29, 23 says, pride ends in humiliation while humility brings honor. I'm curious, have, have you ever been humiliated because of pride? I brought with me a little prop to help, uh, to help represent this because uh, the truth is I've had a lot of humiliating moments on the golf course. Can I share one of those with you? The very first time Crossroads Church, we had a golf tournament and we had about 25 guys come out for the golf tournament. We're all standing at the first tee. We're all gathering around trying to decide who's going to tee off first. 
And I grabbed my club. I stepped up. I said, all right, stand back, fellas. Let me show you how it's done. And I teed up, and I hit that ball. And, man, it goes about 20 yards low, and, and, and it goes to the woman's tee, hits the ball marker, bounces back. All the guys are ducking for cover. And I'm totally humiliated because the ball's 20 yards behind me. <laughs> Total humiliation because of my pride. Friends, look at your outline. Pride leads to destruction, a fall, disgrace, conflict, humiliation. I don't know about you, but I want to avoid those as much as possible. Now, some people might ask the question, well, well Pastor Paul, what if, I'm, what if I'm proud of my kids? Well, that's a different kind of pride. What we're talking about today is a sinfully selfish pride. It's not, we're not talking about someone who say, well, you know, I'm proud of what God's doing in my church. Because there you're proud of God. Or it's not saying, nothing wrong with saying, hey, I'm proud to be an American. Or I'm proud of the company I work for. That's a different kind of pride. What we're talking about here today is a selfish, self-focused sickness from within. And that's the type of pride you want to avoid. In fact, to clarify this on your outline, I want to share with you three types of pride to avoid. And let me tell you why this is so important. James chapter 4 verse 6 says this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Friends, here's the question. Do you want to drive through your life with God's opposition? Or do you want to be covered by God's grace? See, I want to live under God's favor, his kindness, his protection, his grace. And because of that, I want to avoid three very dangerous types of pride that just have a way of popping up in our lives. And the first one is simply this. It's the, the I am better than you type of pride. I'm better than you. And uh, guys, this, this shows up on the golf course. Stand back, fellas. Let me show you how it's done, because I'm better than you. You know, someone once said, is, is pride is when we think we're hot, but we're not, right? When we think we're better than someone else, that we're above other people. Now, before you go, well, hey, Pastor Paul, you know, you may have that problem, other than, but I don't really struggle with a I am better than you type pride. Well, can I point out some ways very gently that this this pride has a way of popping up in our lives and doing damage. One of the ways that the I'm better and, than you pride shows up is with a criticizing spirit, a critical heart. If you find yourself criticizing people at work or at church or, or in, in your home, the, well, look at the way he does that or she's not all that. And friends, that's a reflection of a proud heart. It's the, it's the attitude that says, well, I'm right and you're wrong. And my way of doing things is the right way, and how you're doing it is the wrong way. It also shows up in the spiritual pride of judging others. Like, hey, your sins are really bad. My sins, they're just bad-ish. But those things you're doing, those are really bad. The spiritual pride of judging others, and, and it shows up in marriages also. When one spouse is, is you know, I'm always right, she's always wrong. Kind of makes me think of the lady who said, you know, I married Mr. Right. I just didn't know his first name was always, right? 
in marriage, when you think you're always right and your spouse is always wrong, that's a I'm better than you kind of pride. Now, I put a very uh, interesting verse on your outline, but I'm going to need to explain it a little bit because it's going to sound a little weird. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, and it says this. It says, now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Now, I put this verse on your outline because there was a problem in the Corinthian church that was causing division and distrust and dislike of those who had different ideas on how to like, handle this food sacrificed to idols. Like in this culture, a lot of the pagan religions at their temples, they would kill an animal as a sacrifice, and then after the animal was killed, they'd take the meat to the meat market, and people would buy that for food to take home. And Christians were struggling, well, what do we do if we know that this meat was sacrificed to an idol, a fake god? Do we eat it? Do we not eat it? What do we do with it? And, and some people would say, well, hey, if that meat was sacrificed to an idol, don't touch it. Stay away from it. Some would say, they would adopt the policy, well, hey, don't ask and don't tell. Some would say, hey, it, it doesn't really matter because God is greater than any idol, so just eat it. And then the vegans would chime in, well, hey, if you didn't eat meat in the first place, you wouldn't have this problem, right? <laughs> so there were a lot of opinions in the church going around, and people started taking sides very pridefully. In fact, I love how the Living Bible expresses the same verse this way says this, look at the screen, it says, next is your question about eating food that has been sacrificed to idols. On this question, everyone feels that only his answer is the right one. Do you see it? It's the pride of I'm better than you poking up its ugly head. Everyone feels that, that only his answer is the right one, but although being a know-it-all makes us feel important, what is really needed to build the church is what? love. Now, here's why I'm spending time on this verse. Do you know this year we're entering into a partnership with Echo Church? In fact, at our night of worship, we're going to announce our official merge date. And friends, it's going to be awesome. You don't want to miss it. But we're pursuing this partnership because we know two things. First, we know this is from God. And secondly, we know we're going to be better together. But friends, can I, let me be clear as your pastor. Nothing will do more damage or derail this partnership faster than a prideful, selfish attitude. A mindset that says, hey, our way is the best way. We know how to do it the right way, the right things. Friends, as your pastor, my prayer is that we would be the most loving, accepting, humble partners as we come together with Echo Church that we would welcome them not only into our church home, but into our hearts, and that we would just decide in advance that we're going to build this church on love, and we're going to avoid the I'm better than you type pride that shows up this way. That's the first one. The second one is the, would you write this down? I can handle it myself type pride. First one is a golf club pride. The second one is what I would call my boogie board pride. Let me explain it this way. Several years ago, I was in Hawaii with my family, and we we're at the beach, and man, there were these huge waves. I mean, seven to nine foot waves at Makaha Beach. 
And I'm, I'm looking out there, and I'm like, oh, man, okay, those are big waves. But I look over, and I see some little kids. Like they're eight and nine years old, and they're going out on their boogie boards. And so I think in, in my head, I just go, well, hey, if those little kids can do it, I can handle it. And so I got my boogie board. I put my fins on. But kind of the timing of the waves, I knew I had to do it just right. So I had my fins. I had my boogie board. The wave comes, and I start going out with my fins. You know, you ever see that awkward old white guy trying to go out? On the, you know, I'm trying to go out with my boogie board, and then I realize I have my sunglasses on. And I think, I don't want to lose my sunglasses. So I stop to take off my sunglasses. Critical mistake. Because, like, in just, like, a second... It's like this huge liquid hand from God came and just like grabbed me, sucked me out, picked me up, slammed me down. And I'm not kidding, in one second, I lost my sunglasses, I lost my boogie board, it's attached to a leash, and I just come tumbling down, and man, it throws me on the sand, it pushes me back up on the beach, and oh, thank you, God, and then it pulls me back out. <laughs> and... I, 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 knew I, was in I knew I was in trouble, but I didn't know how bad until I saw all these little Hawaiian kids pointing at the old white guy. And then I saw the lifeguard doing the Baywatch run, you know, he was coming for me. I thought, oh my God, just, I, you know, and it slammed me on the beach and I literally crawled up the beach, took everything I had to get out of the waves. And here's the funny thing, for the next three days, every time I took a shower, <laughs> There was a little pile of sand, like, like I had sand coming out of places that I didn't know I had places. See, I went in, and man, I looked at those kids, and I thought I could handle it, but I couldn't. I couldn't handle it. Friends, we see a great example of this type of, I can handle it myself pride in this great story Jesus told called the story of the prodigal son. Do you know it? In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the story of a man who had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate now. What he's really saying, he's saying, hey, Dad, I want my stuff. I don't want your rules. You're cramping my style. I want to do my life my way. Now, if we were going to make this a modern-day story, it would go something like this. So the son took his money, Went out, he maxed out his credit card, started partying hard, hanging out with loose women. He went absolutely crazy, and before long, he ran out of money and ended up couch surfing with his friends until they got sick of him, threw him out on the streets, and he ended up in a world of hurt. He thought he knew what he wanted. He thought he could handle life without his father, but he couldn't. And then the story continues on your outline where Jesus said in Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 19, when he finally came to his senses. And guys, I'm praying that on this day, some of you will just come to your senses he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying dying of hunger, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Friends, do you see the contrast? Do you, do you see the shift in gears here? He started out with an I can handle it mentality to, to humbly coming back to home base, coming back to share life with his father. Father. 
Well, what does this mean for you and me? Well, if we battle with the I can handle it myself type pride, it's, friends, it's time for you to humble yourself and come, come back. Come back home. Come back to your, your father. Let me tell you how this plays out because some of you, as you sit here today, some of you, your marriage is in trouble. And you're acting like it's not. You know you've been in trouble for a long time, but in your mind, we don't need help. Well, we can figure this out on our own. Friends, listen to me, please. For the sake of the promises that you've made to God and each other, humble yourself and ask for help. Others of you, as you sit here, some of you are dealing with some addictions. And you're thinking, well, hey, I can, I can stop anytime I really want to. Well, friends, if you could have, you would have. Let me say straight up, if you haven't stopped yet, you're not going to stop without help. You, you need to humble yourself and open up and stop trying to do life on your own. Open up to your spouse. Open up to your life group leader. And most importantly, open up to God and say the most powerful prayer on planet Earth. God, help me. Help me, please. Friends, this is such a key moment. Because if, if you would ask for help, Jesus said, ask and you re shall receive. The only reason that you wouldn't do it is pride. That's the boogie board kind of pride. Well, there's a third type of pride that I want to talk about. I hope you'll write this down. It's the, it doesn't apply to me, pride. That doesn't apply to me. There may be rules, but hey, those rules don't apply to me. Makes me think of a true story about Muhammad Ali. Now, Muhammad Ali, man, that guy, man, he was a character. That guy, not only a great fighter, but man, so many funny stories. But this is, I don't know if you know the story about Muhammad Ali. One time he was, he was, he was flying, and the flight attendant came to him and said, excuse me, sir, but you need to wear your seatbelt. And Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali said this, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the flight attendant said, Superman don't need no airplane either. <laughs> okay? Buckle up. See, the first, the first pride to avoid is the golf club pride. Hey, I'm better than you. The second pride to avoid is the boogie board pride. Hey, I can handle it by myself. I don't need no help. The thir third type of pride is... Uh, the bag of chips. I'm all that and a bag of chips, right? See? Here's, here's the pride of this one. It doesn't apply to me. Do you know why I'm using a bag of chips to express this? Because, friends, listen to me. Do you know there are physical rules that govern our physical bodies that have physical effects? And one of those rules is if you eat lots of sugar and fat and junk food and processed garbage, it's going to affect your body and your health, and it's going to increase your waistline, your cholesterol, and your chances of diabetes. It's just a physical rule, a physical law. I'm using this bag of chips because this is an area that I was very prideful. Do you know in my 20s, I knew about that rule, but I pridefully thought, well, that doesn't apply to me. Man, all those other people, but hey, I can eat whatever I want. I'm not going to get fat. I'm not going to get unhealthy. 
And so, man, in my 20s, I could eat the pizza and the burgers and the cake and the pie and the chips. and I could eat all that. Nothing happened. And I pridefully thought, well, those rules don't apply to me. Well, fast forward 20 years. I'm sitting in my doctor's office. And he says, Mr. McGovern, I just have to tell you the truth. You're 25 pounds overweight. Your cholesterol is off the charts. And I hope you have good life insurance. Because if you don't make some major changes, you're a candidate for a major heart attack. I said, Doc, wait a second. It doesn't apply to me. Right? Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? Physical laws. Well, do you know that there are spiritual laws, spiritual rules? And you know them, but some of you think, well, it doesn't really apply to me. Like, for example, Jesus gave this law, this rule, not to look lustfully at another person. Because Jesus knew if that takes root, it could lead to a porn addiction that could lead to adultery. But there are a lot of Christian men who regularly look at pornography and think, well, I know Jesus said that, but that doesn't really apply to me. I mean, I can handle that. I'm not going to become an addict or, or a pervert or anything like that. Some of you, you know the, the spiritual rule where, where the Bible says we are to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. But you think, well, hey, you don't know what this other person did to me. That doesn't apply to me. You see what I'm saying? You think you're the exception to the rule. Or Jesus also taught the Bible teaches clearly as Christ followers, we're to do life together in the church and we're to serve God by serving others. But some of you think, well, I don't, I don't need like to serve in the church. I don't need to get in a group. I mean, we're constantly offering opportunities. Hey, serve on a team, get in a life group. But you think that doesn't apply to me. I can just come and watch the show and then I can go home and do my own thing. And friends, you know what that's called? Pride. Pride. Could it be that you have some blind spots in your life? Could it be that you have the I'm better than others pride or I can handle it myself or it doesn't apply to me type pride? Can I give you one of the most powerful examples in the Old Testament? There was this religious prophet. His name was Isaiah. And if you read the book of Isaiah in chapter 5, five times he says, what all you people are doing is really bad. Like my stuff's bad-ish, but you guys are really bad. And five times he says, woe to you like who party all the time and woe to you who, who do evil like it's good and treat good like it's evil and woe to you who think you know better than everyone else. Five times, it's like he's saying, woe to you and you and you and you. And that's Isaiah chapter five. But then you come to Isaiah chapter six and Isaiah has this worship experience like coming to God's temple and he sees God, and it changes his tune a little bit. I want you to see what he says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Instead of, woe to you, this is what he said. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm just like everyone else. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Friends, when Isaiah saw God, when he got close to God, it was no longer about all the bad things those bad people out there were doing. God lovingly shined his light on Isaiah's blind spots 
not to humiliate or hurt him, but to help him and to heal him. And friends, listen to me. Once Isaiah got right with God, once Isaiah allowed God to change his heart, that's when Isaiah was freed up to do good in the world, to make a difference in the world. But it started with him and his heart. And so let me ask you, what about you? What about you? Do you know that God's antidote to pride and selfishness can be summed up in one word? Humility. Humility. I love how 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6 says, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility. Instead of taking up the golf club and the boogie board and the bag of chips, lay that stuff aside. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. See, humility is not lifting yourself up. It's actually bowing down before God. And then God takes your life and he starts blessing your life, blessing your marriage, blessing your family, blessing the impact for good in the world when you choose to humble yourself. I love how Pastor Rick Warren says these words, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking about yourself less. Friends, humility is not saying, well, I'm such a failure, a screw-up, a loser. Humility is when you see yourself clearly through God's eyes and you say, man, I'm deeply loved. I'm beautifully gifted by God to make a difference for good in the world. But instead of focusing on the wrong stuff, I'm going to focus on loving God and loving others. And I'm going to take a different position than the position of pride. I'm going to clothe myself with humility. I love how Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 explains humility this way. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Your friends, you know when Jesus came from heaven, he didn't look like this. Hey, I'm better than you. He didn't do that. He didn't walk around with a boogie board. Man, he didn't say, hey, I'm a bag of chips and all that. He, he got none of that stuff. Here's what Jesus looked like. He took a towel and a pitcher of water. And the very night before he is arrested to be crucified, to die for our sins, instead of thinking of himself, man, he got down on his hands and knees and he washed his disciples' feet. See, the position of pride, looking down. Position of humility, bowed down, serving others. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I want to challenge us as a church family and for you personally to choose this life over this life. And that's what I want us to pray for right now. Would you pray with me? Would you just humbly say in your heart, dear God, help me. Help me to lay aside my pride and selfishness 
as I humbly declare, I need you. I need you to be my Savior. I need you to forgive me for all the ways that I've let my pride and selfishness hurt you and others and myself. Would you say, God, the best way I know how, I just ask you to come into my life and give me a fresh start and use my life to make a difference for good in the world. For Christ's sake. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.